Hello, everybody. Welcome to the LitSot podcast, where books are lighthouses in the sea of time. I have no idea which episode we're on, but here today, as always, I am here with my friends Aiden and Isabel. How are we doing, guys? Excellent. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. So today we're going to be discussing the book Frankenstein. And uh, this is is a bit creepier of a book than we've discussed before. Um, It's kind of, in my opinion, it's one of the the beginnings of the modern horror genre. Um, But anyway, a very interesting book to read. Isabel, can you tell us a little bit about what's contained within the pages of this value? So the scene is set through a series of letters sent from... Walton, a captain aboard a sea, an expedition to the North Pole, or was it? Yes, and he's writing his letters home to his sister, describing the the atmosphere. Um, He he gives us his backstory in these letters, and he expresses a wish for a friend to accompany him on this sea voyage. So off they go, and they get stuck in the ice, and he miraculously gets this friend. A man who is, for unknown mysterious reasons, traveling by dog sled across the ice, and he's gotten, um, he's almost frozen to death, and he is taken aboard the vessel, and as he's recovering from being frozen half to death, he tells, he tells Walden his story, and he says that his name is Victor Frankenstein. And he spent a happy childhood with a privileged, a privileged family in Geneva, Switzerland. And um, he, he tells how he grew up with his father, his cousins, and um, how he got interested in the natural sciences. And he goes to, um, what was it, France, I believe, to study. And while he's there, he gets very interested in kind of the... S- metaphysical was it side of of natural history and he gets deeply entrenched in this project to create life so he 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 puts together a body made out of parts of other humans and animals and infuses it with life and he makes the creature as a scientific experiment and he makes the creature very tall and rather ugly, very strong. The creature comes to life, and he realizes that in this feverish, intensive haste to create this thing, in this he got so wrapped up in the work that he didn't realize how hideous this being was. And the being is like a newborn, essentially. It it you know can't talk. Doesn't know how to talk, and it just looks at him. And Frank uh, Frankenstein, you know, faints and can't stand it. And the being runs out, runs away. Um, and Frankenstein then, you know, goes back to to doing his his thing for a while, and 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 you know, he he gets very sick. Um, and he recovers and hopes that all is over, and you know, can't stand to study natural science anymore so um but then he he goes home and his brother william has been murdered 
and a family friend, Justine, is accused of committing the murder, and he knows right away that it was his monster that's done this crime. And um, then this story unfolds where member after member of his family is is killed by this monster, and he meets with the monster, and um, this being he has created tells him, look, this is my story. I you know, went to live in the woods and these peasants, you know, through watching through their windows, I learned how to, how to speak and, um, so on and so forth. But when I revealed myself to them, they rejected me because I was so ugly and looked like a monster. And, um, you know, I've been on the run ever since. And I can't, because of the way that I look, I can't make any sort of companionship at all. And, um, He's constantly on the run, has to steal food, and he's become this monster in every sense of the word, you know, committing crimes of every kind. And now he's figured out who Frankenstein is, and he wants to, he wants Frankenstein to make a female of his species, to make a second monster, to go with him into the wilderness so that he can have some kind of happiness in life. Frankenstein agrees and begins work. But then reflects on what he's doing, and this time, instead of, he reflects and and says, wait a second, they're going to have children, who knows how wicked the female's going to be, this is a disaster waiting to happen, I'm not doing it. He tears up the body that he's half created, but in a last act of vengeance, the beast kills his wife on his wedding night, and um, Frankenstein devotes the rest of his life to tracking down his monster and destroying this monster and it leads him to the Ar- Ar- um it leads him to the arctic where he was found by uh Walton and he finishes telling his story and he he dies um and that's pretty much the book yeah pretty yeah. much that, that was actually a really impressive summary. Much better than the ones I usually give. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. That was very well done. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay. Yeah, so um, this book has, has a very weird complex. Half the time you're empathizing with the, the you know, uh, Frankenstein's monster, and the other half the time you're empathizing with Dr. Frankenstein. And uh, the the characters in the book even do this, too. Uh, especially Frankenstein, he's like, you know, sometimes I pity him and sometimes I hate him. Um, so, I, I don't know, who's really the bad guy in this story? Well, I, I, would tend to say, yeah. I would tend to say the monster is, I mean, Frankenstein does create him, but, and it might have been a bad idea, but he didn't really think through all his, everything through, but the monster is the one who well, commits, like, multiple murders, arson. I mean, the guy destroys tons of things for, like, no good reason. Right. It, the question I, I had during the book, obviously, obviously the monster, no amount of loneliness and rejection justifies going berserk and running them up, killing people. But what I'm always interested in is, is his account that 
in the beginning of the book when he was in in the woods watching the peasants is that actually true that he was originally this virtuous being and he wanted to do good what? and he was driven to this evil you pity him the the despair that drove him to do this is it true if he had had the female would he have gone into the wilderness quietly like he like he promised is he actually was he ever good or was he just lying through his teeth the entire time trying to manipulate people because that's what victor goes in and out of thinking miss victor frankenstein thinks is well he's talking to me I believe him, and I was sympathetic and compassionate to him, but as soon as he left, and I was left to myself to think, I thought, he has just this silver tongue, and he's manipulating me. So, which is true. Yikes. I I never really considered that. Wow. I mean, he blatantly says when he talks about how he framed the um, girl for um, the murder... He blatantly says that he's like really skilled at this, and that that's why he frames the girl is because he needed to get Doc blamed for the murder, and he's really skilled at well framing people for stuff and right. making lies. I mean, because if you can imagine from the Victorian mindset, where it's really common these days. I mean, really common. That you somehow sympathize with the monster, and oh, the monster's not all that bad. I mean, let's let's right. name them: Beauty and the Beast for one. Um, oh, I don't know. There's tons of different uh, like, stories. I mean, the about- TV the TV show Vampire Diaries portrays vampires as good, right? Normally, you know, Twilight. We don't even you know taking the Wizard of Oz and turning out of the head. Really, the Wicked Witch isn't that wicked after all. Right, right, right. You know, and and everything like we're. In our modern, our modern sensibilities would immediately be drawn to, would, would accept Frankenstein's account of himself. But in the Victorian period, that just wasn't the case. So they might, th- that's the, like, like Dracula, for example, there's none of that. He's just a villain through and through when you hate him. Um, and <laughs> so on and so forth, you know? Like, the, 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 the trend back then was to, to, they would look at what Frankenstein was saying and they dismiss it out of hand. Oh, look what a liar he is. So that's what I'm saying. Is the Victorian interpretation right or are we right? Like, who exactly is Frankenstein's monster? Well, in our enlightened modern era, obviously we have all the information and we oh, know everything. Definitely. So we're obviously right. Right, of course. Right, we've obviously. totally met, we've, we've met monsters and we've talked with them. And yes. See, that's the thing, though, is because our, you know, I felt really sympathetic with this guy, if you consider the loneliness. Yeah, me too. And there's a valid place for that. I mean, he did have it hard. Can you imagine being like the only, and, and, and it kind of plays on the human experience, because I'm pretty sure that almost every being on the planet has has found themselves ostracized from something at some point. It's a very human instinct to need to belong. And Mm -hmm. that's why it's such a gripping, evil, manipulative lie, if it is a lie. Right, exactly. 
Right. So is it a lie? And and how exactly? I mean, he just starts killing folks, and you you wonder. Okay, so everybody who ever sees him runs away screaming and or tries to kill him. What effect would that have on a on a on a you know like how, what what would that do to you? And well, he, he, I mean, the more people tell you you're a monster, the more you start to believe it and act like it. Right. Right. And I mean... But at the same he, time, if you really are a monster, it doesn't make much of a difference if people are telling you that you're not. Right. Wait. Actually, I don't know about that, because I feel like it also does have the opposite effect. The more you look at someone as if they are better than they are, the more they become that way. Or at least it increases their Well, okay, sure, they do, but if the guy is blatantly lying through his teeth and killing people, I mean, if you just say, oh, this guy isn't so bad, well, it's not going to turn stuff around better. I mean, there is the side where if you try to help someone become better, they can, but that is different. Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess I see what you're saying, yeah. So I, I suppose there's. it's really hard to... Um, it's really hard to tell whether or not he was lying. The book, I don't think, gives us enough information, does it? I don't think... It, it gives us a few clues. And I think the biggest clues is Frankenstein's... Uh, Frankenstein's monster's behavior. Yeah, his because topic. when you have a when you have a character that you cannot trust what they say, all you can do is look at what they do, right? And look at the skill set that they have, and it's crazy. He finds the diary in the coat that he stole from Franken from Doctor Frankenstein, and uses that to track Victor Frankenstein and start killing his relatives. Uh and like out out of revenge for having created him and this is where it gets really strange because you have a situation where a man creates a new being right and he has no way of coping with that responsibility of having created a being And he makes no effort to assume the responsibility of having created the being. And um, it's like that there. He's he's out of Frankenstein's monster is kind of out of luck because he's just appears and he has no reason for his existence. He has no. Where is he supposed to go with this? Um, And summoning a demon without having. Without then making a contract with it. Right. <laughs> right. Right. So all of a sudden you've got a third kind running around. Um, with no resources and no answers. Um, and it, yeah. just, it, it just seems to me like... In a way, a metaphor for our own condition, because 
you know, and the the parallel of like the that that inference is fairly obvious. Right. I mean, he even calls himself the fallen angel. So mm-hmm. we have a situation where if if he is telling the truth, which is doubt dubious, he was once good, falls for, he was created good and falls from grace because of abuse, basically. Because of other right. people's because of other people's evil, he blames other people's evil, and then runs off getting worse and worse, and then he comes back and makes demands of his creator to to create another being. So it's like he's obviously he's not an atom. Because well maybe I don't know exactly what Mary Shelley's religious affiliation was, but I mean we caused our own fall we were in right. paradise when we were when we were when we were brought into the world adam mm-hmm. was in paradise frankenstein was not no he wasn't the, right i i think she named um frank like isn't there like the like second title for like frankenstein like like a modern like Prometheus or something? Prometheus? Yeah, yeah like let me look up Prometheus. that word Prometheus. I have no idea what it um, means. Well, um, Prometheus is the um, Greek god who creates the human race. Um, ah, he also is ha, the god ha. who brings down fire from heaven. But to as sure. a result from this, Zeus um, punishes him and changes him to a cliff and has that altar come and like eat his liver out every day. Okay, so in that scenario then... God is Zeus. Prometheus is Frankenstein. Frankenstein and, and humanity the is the monster. Right. That makes a lot of sense because the initial error that sparked the whole thing was Frankenstein, the professor, um, sparking life, doing what God does without God's permission. So idolatry, essentially. Right, uh, kind of. I mean, though, that tends to be the problem for everything. You can always trace back into it. Well, yes. Idolatry. Every, every sin is idolatry, yes. But, I mean, he, he played God, and he wasn't prepared to handle it, and he couldn't... It's such a mockery of actual you know god because frankenstein victor frankenstein had no power to reverse the fall of his creature all he could do was kill it right well i mean that's because he isn't god he's not he doesn't have that type of power all he's done is created something right or which or well you see yeah that's the thing is i feel like i feel like in a lot of tragedies there's so many points where the story could have gone completely differently and and so i i i suppose i guess you you uh, you guys were saying that um that like like frankenstein had no way to avert the fall of his creature but he had and and how could have both Frankenstein and his monster have worked this out with 
out working it out the way they did and what were would have been some of those consequences and how what could we learn from that does that make sense i mean not like we're trying to just fancifully invent like oh what if this happened what if that happened but like right right well well if frankenstein hadn't like run away from his monster but instead had tried to like bring it up like a child it is very possible that he wouldn't have become so corrupt but after he became corrupt was there anything that really could be done that would fix the problem no well you see yeah yeah, that's the other thing when does frankenstein become corrupt because i feel like Yes, he's very he's feeling very like vengeful after after that whole incident at the cottage. Um but he, so he goes he sets off to find Dr. Frankenstein, right? And he, I feel like at that point does he have a conception of what he wants Frankenstein to do, right? Make him a companion like mm-hmm. himself? Right. If he yeah, does, he's... what what I don't understand is why does he kill Frankenstein's companions? Right? It's like okay, Wait, no. No, no, see, this is where you're getting the story mixed up. He accidentally kills Frankenstein's little brother. It's a complete accident. He's trying to kidnap the kid, but he's too strong. He accidentally kills him. No, that, that... What? Is that what I happened? Don't think, no, I don't think that's right. I think that when he, he meets William and William cries out... Um, let me go, you monster, or I'll tell my father, Monsieur Frankenstein, he's the magistrate, and so on and mm-hmm. so forth. And he said, Frankenstein is your name, then you must be related to the, the guy who formed me, Die. Well, he, he said Die, because I thought he said you'll be mine, which would be very different. Mm-hmm. I thought he was, like, trying to kidnap the kid. Yeah, he, he initially tried... I am... I'm looking for the, looking for it now. Yeah, that that's an important point. Because that it, that makes a big difference whether or not he tried to commit a murder there, or he was trying to kidnap him. True. However, he's already committed arson, so does it really make much of a difference? Oh yes, it does. Yes, here it is. <laughs> I found it. Hideous monster, let me go. My father is a syndic. He is Monsieur Frankenstein. He would punish you. You do not you dare not keep me. Frankenstein, you belong then to my enemy, to him toward whom I have sworn eternal avenge. You shall be my first victim. The child still struggled and loaded me with epithets which I which carried despair to my heart. I grasped his throat to silence him, and in a moment he lay dead at my feet. Oh, yeah, I guess that is a murder. Yeah. yeah. With, okay. In which case, I don't really follow the logic of that because it makes a lot more sense for him to be trying to kidnap the kid and yeah, not actually exactly. kill him. Yeah, that he wanted stupid. he wanted a child to be his companion, but like he just has this irrational, deep set hatred towards um Fra- Mr. Fr- towards Frankenstein for creating him, and I mean, you kind of get that with people, with, with some atheists, you know, when mm-hmm. they say, God is a terrible being, I could never believe in him, why did he create us and dump us in this evil world, you know, and, and there's the whole problem uh-huh. of evil, and they won't sit still long enough for you to explain to them exactly what the situation is, and what we actually uh-huh. believe, and they just keep bashing you with saying that God is evil. Right. You know, you've, you've heard yeah. this argument, right. they just have this irrational hatred 
for God. There, there are it, times when it seems like they're a bit too strong in yeah. their attacks on God. I mean, exactly. That that that's what this feels like to me. That you care too much for something you say doesn't exist. Right, right. It they have this vendetta against it because as they perceive it, it's brought them life has brought them only misery or maybe not them personally, but just life on planet Earth is miserable and there's tsunamis and children die. So mm-hmm. therefore we're going to just spew hate all over the place like little miniature volcanoes. Um Mm-hmm. And I mean, just all of the elements. It's it's like Frankenstein is the worst. Frankenstein's monster, excuse me, that always messes me up. Frankenstein's yeah. monster is one bundle of the worst in humanity. Yeah, which is like you you connect with this guy for that reason. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, okay, so yeah, I suppose at the point where he ends up uh, killing William and uh, vicariously killing Justine, he he doesn't really have his idea yet. Yeah, at first he wants he wants the kid to be his companion, and then he wants the girl to be his companion, and then he's like, wait, this isn't going to work, let's just kill them both. And he, he sort of kills them both sort of by accident, on purpose. Does that make well, sense? He he kills them because he wants to inflict as much pain as he possibly right. can right, exactly. on Victor he... Frankenstein, and he's using the people that Victor loves to do this. Right. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that we can't do that towards God. Well, we try. We try. <laughs> yeah. It normally hurts us more than it hurts God, though. Exactly, and. <laughs> Right, because we can't hurt God at all. And I mean, that's why humans can't play God. We're too fragile. Right. Okay, yeah, so one way Frankenstein could have possibly averted this crisis is by not... Frankenstein's monster could have averted it is by not killing anybody before talking to Dr. Frankenstein. Well, he could have averted the whole thing by accepting the heartbreak that the cottagers inflicted on him and taking it, absorbing it, and... Moving on with his life. Yes. And that's a mistake humans make all the time, is they want revenge. They want blood. They want other people to hurt instead of them just taking the hurt and working, fighting through it instead of fighting it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yep. if I can't be happy, nobody can be happy. You meet those kinds of people on smaller scales all the time. And every one of us, I'm, I imagine, has done that. I mean... Oh, totally. Totally. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's totally. just what, what you do when you're in a bad mood. You make other people in a bad mood. There's right. a Calvin and Hobbes strip that, like... like I forget what it is, but it shows Calvin at a bad mood at, at the bus stop, and like so is uh, so Susie comes along, and like eventually he puts her in a bad mood, and then like at the end there's him with like a like a like a grumpy smile on his face, going like I, I forget what the quote is, man. I have to look this up. Yeah, but I mean, it's a totally. It like, makes no sense. Nobody can possibly. 
may we are morally responsible for our own actions. Nobody else. No, like no matter what happens to us, we can always theoretically we can choose the noble road. But of course, we are humans. We never take the noble road. Right. Well, I found this never. I found well, this. Well, I know. Obviously, not never. But it's not our instinct. It's not what comes naturally. Right. I I found the comic strip. Okay. So yeah, Susie goes. Hi, Kelvin. Kelvin goes. Oh, you're real pleasant this morning. What's the matter with you? Go step in front of a cement mixer, okay? What a pill you are! What a jerk! Well, who needs you? You can just stand there and be grumpy all by yourself. <laughs> and Kelvin smiles and he's like, "Nothing helps a bad mood like spreading it around." Uh huh. Yep. That's yep. about it. The weirdness of Calvin being so brilliant and at the same time so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, That's it's, why he's so easy to relate with. Right. Well, and right. Frankenstein is so easy to relate with because it's like a caricature of us, basically. Totally. Um, yeah, exactly. So what are but, some ways Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein, could have averted this crisis? That's well, I mean, fairly... Yeah. Taking care of the monster instead of, like, kicking it out in the cold. Or he could have just, like, killed the monster right when he made it. That's what I didn't well, get. Why didn't he do that or, or kill it when he met it? It was horrifying. It was horrifying. It, it it sent him into brain fever for like over a year, wasn't it? It wasn't two years. Yeah. To... I met when so... he met him the second time, like when he like sees him and then he goes into the cave with him. Why wouldn't? Why didn't he like see him and go like, wait a second? How about I bring a gun? <laughs> because yeah, life never works that way. I mean, it's 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 yeah. a novel. Trust me, novels just don't. Nobody <laughs> ever does the logical thing in a horror story. That's <laughs> right. why it's a horror story. <laughs> like, you never bring your buddy when you're going down the creepy corridor. Of course not. <laughs> no. no, you don't get... You don't turn the lights on. You don't tell someone where you're going. No, of course not. It's a horror story. <laughs> I mean, right. obviously, the way that the book wants you to say this could have been prevented, the, the message the book wants to send you is that Frankenstein shouldn't have put his nose where it didn't belong and created That's life true. and taken responsibility on his own shoulders that didn't belong to him. He shouldn't have become God, and we shouldn't mm-hmm. become God either. Okay, I have a question. So yeah? Like, when you first meet Frankenstein, um, he tells Walton, um, you know, like, be careful like what you do with science. It's like very a dangerous thing. And like he's like warning him not to do anything. Which right. makes sense. And like then he tells his whole story and he explains like how like science like crushed his life because of his overinvestment into exploring it. Then when you get to the end of the story, you start hearing about like what happens and how they got stuck in ice and like, all the men on the ship want to go back home if they can get out of the ice at all. And, Franken- yeah. and like, they come to Walton in Frankenstein. Frankenstein is, like, really sick on a bed. 
um, and Walton is like nursing him. Um, and they come to Walton and they're like, so the men have decided that if the ice breaks up, we are going to go back to England. And Frankenstein says to them, like, you guys can't possibly do this. Like, he, he breaks, he says this, like, which is weird. He like, gives this, like, really rousing speech of, like, how that they should be men and venture forward and discover the unknown. And, like, he does this while, like, so sick that, like, he literally shouldn't be talking. Right. <laughs> it seems to be the exact opposite of the message he says at the beginning, which is he, that he, like, warns Walton not to study science. Yeah. I kind of... I I kind of wonder if I mean this doesn't really speak to the to the contrast, but I I, I wonder if because I feel like there's definitely been scientists around the world that have felt the same way. I mean, just think about the guy that discovered um, uh, nitroglycerin, right? Uh, the guy uh, <laughs> I I seem to remember reading about him and how he was like super distraught that he had created this such a destructive chemical, right? And then, like, uh, think about the people that were instrumental in creating the atomic bomb, right? You know, imagine the sort of, like, what did we do? <laughs> what? what, did, what? Um, right, but, like, wouldn't they, like, be opposed to any fervor? Like, he says, like, don't do any fervor scientific discoveries, but then he helps. Well, he kind of helps. They end up not going all the way to the North Pole. But, like, he's trying to help. Walton make it to the North Pole. I don't so, think at that point it has anything to do with helping Walton. I think at that point he's like, oh shoot, I'm too sick to keep going. If the ice breaks up and you turn around and I'm still here, I can't kill my monster. Well, Is that I, the only reason? No, it's not the only... It can't be the only reason, because he's incredibly impassioned. and you, It's hard to get people ridiculously eloquent and impassioned out of self-interest, well, out of self, I suppose it's, it, it can be very easy to get eloquent out of self-interest, but that just, like, hit, hit the, nobil- the noble character in the Victorian novel, totally not gonna do that. You, 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 would, you would smell a rat immediately. Um, I think there might be something about the balance between playing God and, and, and being a noble man, you know? Like, being a good if what you're mm-hmm. Kipling kind of a man, you know, we, 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 we read that poem, mm-hmm. wasn't it? That, um, right. yeah. Hemingway. Right. Um, and, and right. Because I don't think that getting run away with and going in your closet and creating a monster and pursuing science for, knowledge and glory are necessarily synonymous. And I don't think that the book was beating down science and its pursuit, but selfish kind of, you know, he 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 didn't share this work with anybody. He 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 there's there's just this line between the hubris and feverish excitement um of working on this project, you know, in a fever and mm-hmm. going and, and doing it for the good of the world. Mm-hmm. You could go 
either way. You could go off the line and say, I don't want nothing to do with this, and become a troglodyte and go live in a cave. Or <laughs> you could become an erudite and, you know, make make Victor Frankenstein's mistake and create atomic bombs. And, you know, ethics is important in these matters. So he's sort mm-hmm. of saying, wow, okay, so that's sort of like a a redemptive part of the book for him, almost, sort of, where he goes like, yeah, okay, but you gotta fix your mistakes, right? Like, like, you know? You can, you can, you can walk, you can walk this line without making my mistakes. And, right. interestingly, he does. Walton turns back for the good of his crew. He doesn't push them and force them against their will into the Arctic for the sake of his own glory, he turns back, although he's very disappointed about this, and they return to England without, without dying. Right. Without disaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a very different, like, Walton and Frankenstein, I think, are perhaps the more interesting two people to compare than Frankenstein and his monster. Right. Because Frankenstein and his monster are compared by everybody. Um, yeah, true. <laughs> right, and and also they're incomparable in a way because their roles are so different. Right. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Very cool. So, all right, uh, we've still got a little time left. I'm. Thinking of a good question or two to to kind of wrap up here. What um what uh let's see. So so do you know of any like sequels to Frankenstein like that people have written and not not obviously the original author, but if people tried to kind of say okay, what happened after? Because Franken the Frankenstein's monster ends up escaping, right? Well, the Frankenstein monster ends up escaping, but he says he's going to go commit suicide and, like, destroy his body, and there's going to be, like, almost no evidence that this thing happened at all. Yeah, but we never see it happen, so I feel like, like a true horror author, he he kind of left the rest up to your imagination. Right, and I mean, you can't... Well, there's an element of dissonance. Right. You never you, you you if you if it, it's classic classic classic. If you don't see the body, you don't know if the guy's dead, and he could right. come back. Even he you, could come back, but that's it. it feels like cheap writing when it does. you do that. It does. True, it's and like, that's like, why the original author never wrote a sequel. But I'm just wondering, has has anybody else? I really don't know. I mean, it's kind of like, I'm sure if you went to a bookstore, you could find any number of them, just like you can find Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. It's I mean, true. it would be like well, a cheap... Pride and Prejudice and Zombies is a critical piece of literature. Okay, I didn't even bother picking it up. I was just too disgusted by the title, so I'm, I'm not even okay, going to well, actually, I haven't read it, but I have heard it mentioned in by, um, lit, by a literature person who was mentioning how it's an interesting example of the ability to reference another book quite heavily and draw on it. I'm point taken, point taken. I'm pretty sure that this has happened any number of times with Frankenstein as well. 
But it just right. feels like it, it can never be quite the same as our dear Frankenstein, written by Mary Shelley. And it's more interesting to me how this gripped the imagination so viscerally that you've got all these crazy movie adaptations of it. It's all over the place. We still, like, fr- huh. he, the idea of Frankenstein has really evolved a lot. Yeah. And the, it's like Sherlock Holmes. It's take it's caught hold of the imagination and it's it has evolved beyond recognition almost in some ways. I mean like when people think Frankenstein th- Frankenstein everybody thinks Frankenstein is the name of the monster. Everybody right. thinks he's this it's shuffling not- dolt who goes around making with his arms stretched out making noises like or, or you know whatever you hear you hear right. it's imitated all, all the time. I mean the draw on the imagination is just so powerful that it's survived, even though most people never read the book. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the uh, Frankenstein movies and sequels. So, uh, in 1931, they made Frankenstein. Uh, in 1935, they made The Bride of Frankenstein. And then after that is The Son of Frankenstein, The <laughs> Ghost of Frankenstein, <laughs> Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. And uh, (laughs) House of Frankenstein, (laughs) all together, Frankenstein's monster, Wolfman, Dracula, Hunchback, Mad Doctor. Wow. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Fun stuff. I mean, (laughs) Frankenstein's monster I suppose in that one, all the monsters sort of get together, and they're like, hey, we're all monsters (laughs) together. Right. I mean, Frankenstein's monster is considered one of, like, the classic monsters alongside, like, Dracula. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And... The werewolf. So what so would happen if they all got together? Where that comes from? Oh goodness, <laughs> that, that that that's what happens. That that's that's gonna be like X Men or something. You know, they all well, have a party I... and bash each other. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, okay. I mean, I okay. You obviously don't sound seem like that sounds like fun, but I think <laughs> people who would enjoy it quite a bit. Well, yeah, oh, that's, yeah, that's why they made a movie out of it in 1944. I kind of want to watch this now. Right. It's a 1944 movie. It's not good. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, uh, when, when did, uh, when did, like, Ben-Hur come out? That was good. I... Yeah, isn't that, like, in the... That's much more recent, isn't it? No, oh, no, 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 no. Is it? Well, what about the Ten Commandments? So. Okay, Ben Hur was in 1959. Yeah, I mean that is like ten years later. Um, uh, Ten Commandments was in 1956, so that's a little closer. Anyway, yeah, I mean, I'm not the sort of person who enjoys a film adaptation of a book. Because by you know, of course, the film is always different from the book. Doesn't necessarily make it wrong, but you know, because the because a book leaves you so much more room for engaging your imagination, a movie always seems to fall short of that for me. You're right. Yep. With one, yeah. But they can do a good job, like oh, definitely of getting things right. Like I mean, when. I watched, like, the third movie in the Hobbit trilogy. I was, like... Okay, spoiler alert for both the book and the movie trilogy. Um, but, like, they kill Thorin Oakenshield 
Amphelia and Keeley, which is right. like accurate to the book. And I was like, this is awesome. They actually kill the characters that need to die according to the book. Who, when they die in the book, it's really, really sad. And you're like, wait a minute, you just killed like the best characters under the Bilbo. <laughs> right. Right, right. Okay, and then um, to wrap up the discussion on Frankenstein. Um, okay, okay, two questions. One, yes. uh, one is what is the central moral lesson of the what's what's the moral of this story? And then um, the other one is a question that I posted in assuming humanity could create life. Uh, what what sort of challenges would ensue? Would it be just like Frankenstein? And, and is is there a way to is there a way to do this right? I don't think so. I think that's the moral of the story: is that no, we can't, we shouldn't, and it's a macabre and disturbing. It's 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 a, it's our disturbing desire to to be God, and it can't work. Because we can't have, we can't, we don't have the tools to do that. And it's also, we shouldn't take on more responsibility than we can handle, but we can't, we also can't run from our moral responsibilities and blame the world at large and other people's actions toward us for the way that we respond to those actions. So nothing justifies running them up muck and killing people. And... Also, nothing justifies, you know, taking the role of God on our own shoulders. That's definitely what the book says. And I would tend to agree that if we successfully created life, it would cause massive problems. As a, as a note of comfort, though, I highly doubt God would allow it. <laughs> I, I highly doubt. I, mean, yeah. I don't think it would. It would never pan out. We we'll, we could never do it. Um, but we're just, always making movies about it. Like, what about we're like always making stuff like that? Where we can make as many movies and write as many books as we want to about us becoming God. That doesn't mean that God in heaven is going to let us. He he sets certain boundaries for our wickedness. I mean. Tower of Babel, the Flood, and all that sort of thing. He's not going to let it get that far to hand, and thank God for that. <laughs> so yeah. the moral of the story is just don't put your nose where it doesn't belong? It's, you know, it's, you, you it, got to keep it, some, some sense of perspective. Yeah, I mean, don't go too far in your pursuit of anything. But how far is too far? Well, apparently Dr. Frankenstein went too far. So, there you go. <laughs> That's too far. Yes, right. that is an example of going too far. And I, I think go- you'd... <laughs> <laughs> right. I was going to postulate that, you know, we, um... I, I, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I, yeah, it's, it is kind of a silly question. I, I, I was gonna kind of, kind of take it like down, like the you know, family sort of a road. Like, wait a second, no humans can create life, and uh, you know. Yes, but that's that's that's, that's built in. That's built in. That's right. God I know. is still God using us as tools. 
to create life the way that he intended and, and gave to us. And we don't really get how that works. I mean, it's really is confusing and nobody really gets how that works. Nobody knows how the spark of life enters a creature. That's even in the Bible somewhere. I don't know where. One of the Psalms, perhaps, where you can't fathom how the spirit of life, how a soul gets entwined to this pile, right. this intricate form. Scientists just don't know that. Scientists can't do what Frankenstein did. They can't take uh, a bunch of molecules and sinews and turn them into a creature and infuse life into it. Nobody knows so how to do that. Even with the like, you know, machine learning and all this stuff we're developing, you don't you don't think we, we'd be able to create a you, being with consciousness, even though it's. Uh, we don't uh, understand what consciousness is, Gabe. I mean, there's a big difference between having an AI and making something along the lines of like text from Red versus Blue. Yeah, I mean, because we we. Humans creating life is not humans creating life. Humans creating life through procreation is life being created through humans. Nothing that we are doing is sending that spark there. And that's God doing that. And that, that will always be God's jurisdiction. And it should be, as this book kind of, as this book clearly, you know, tells us. And, um, like, humans can't even... Did you ever hear about Biosphere 5? They they took the top scientists from around the world and they tried to create the sealed dome and fill it with different species and different <laughs> plants to create a miniature environment that would completely sustain itself, produce all its own oxygen, all its own food, all the rest of it. And they had to pump in oxygen within two years because even they couldn't even recreate a a single environment. On that yeah. scale, they couldn't even recreate what we already have. Yeah. It's just, it's, it, they, we can't even understand why humans sleep. Science just can't give us all the answers. Yeah. That's true, but I mean, I don't know. That's also one of the. It's also, yeah. I think it's also important to focus on the idea that. At the end of it, Dr. Frankenstein does end up saying, like, okay, all right, yeah, okay, science science is good, but it's it's your pursuit of it, it's your intentions that really is the central problem, not necessarily as much. Right. 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 And, I mean, if you go into it expecting that you are the one in control, using science... Like pillaging science for its answers, that yeah. then you're going to end up with the results of Frankenstein. Right, right. But, so, I mean, if you go in like Newton and you just kind of look for what scientific laws there are, you're not going to get right. problematic. Totally the situation. You awesome. have to. You have to start with the presupposition that. You're studying something God has made. You are not the one using science, exploiting science to create yourself. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, 
I think that about wraps it up. Thank you all for listening to the podcast. Um, I, our website is uh, still under development, but I hope to get that done by the next episode. Until then, you can always email us at litsot.mail at gmail.com. We, uh, one of these days, we should probably read some of our emails on the show, see what we've getting, uh, gotten after uh, however many episodes it's been. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Oh, and if you want to watch uh, House of Frankenstein, I, I found it on Daily Motion, so just uh, just find that on the internet. Should be a fun time. All right, thank you very much. See you later. Bye.